you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable and you have to get comfortable knowing that you don't know everything. If you don't have recruitment, you don't have diversity. We have to stop thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion as a zero sum game, yep. right? We're bringing in these people and I'm losing something. Right. That's not the way it is. If we're bringing in diverse people, everybody in the organization becomes better. Good morning, everybody, to episode seven of The Kitchen Table. In this podcast, we sit down to have real and honest conversations talking all things leadership. We call it The Kitchen Table because we know some of the best conversations at the firehouse take place at the kitchen table. And the goal here today is to focus that kitchen table energy into talking leadership. I'm your host, Berlin Mazza. Alongside me is Deputy Fire Chief Bill Mack. Good morning, Bill. How are you this morning? Outstanding. Thanks, Berlin, for having me again. Well, Bill, what an exciting weekend of pro football, yes. Although the Hawks lost, what an amazing season in a so-called rebuild year. You know, I turned off the Jags game early, but found out later on that my guy Trevor Lawrence came through. And uh, how about Tom Brady? Done? Yeah? Berlin, man, I, I love this time of year. This is the time I really get my my groove on here. Uh, the NFL did not disappoint this weekend with uh, action. Um if I was a Betty man, I won my Bills and Giants and Bengals games. Uh, oh, yeah. I didn't see. I didn't see my cow. Did not see the Cowboys coming the way that they came. They really came to play for sure. So, only if Bill, only if you were a betting man. Well, we end the month of January with leadership conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, before you close out your Spotify, I encourage you all to stay tuned in, be curious, and be open to this conversation, and to personally challenge your own growth. Today. On the kitchen table, we have Assistant Chief Chris Larson, a 32-year veteran of the Los Angeles City Fire Department. In her early career, she held the rank of Fire Inspector and subsequently was the first African-American woman to be promoted to the rank of Captain 1, Captain 2, Battalion Chief, and Assistant Chief in the history of the LAFD. She was also the first African-American woman to serve as Drill Master for the Fire Academy. Chief Larson earned her bachelor's degree in sociology from UCLA while achieving the distinction of becoming a three-time All-American track and field athlete. She went on to graduate summa cum laude, which means the highest honors, from Capella University with a master's degree in public service leadership with an emphasis in emergency management. She has also completed a diversity, equity, and inclusion certification program through Cornell University. Chief Larson also serves the community as president of Los Angeles Women in Fire Service and as vice president of the board of directors for Camp Blaze, a fire camp for young women in Washington State. She is also a founding member of Equity and Fire, a grassroots coalition of firefighters, civil rights leaders, and community members working to achieve equity and an end to discrimination in the fire service. In 2022, Chief Larson was awarded the Rosa Parks Humanitarian Award from the Southern Christian Leadership Conference of Southern California for her work with Equity on Fire. The Chief's current assignment with the LAFD is overseeing recruitment and youth programs and starting the new Equity Bureau for the Fire Department. Chief Larson, thank you so much for spending the time uh, to talk to us today on the kitchen table. How are you this morning? I am doing fantastic. I want to thank you guys for this opportunity. Special. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, and what better time than this week to talk about leadership, diversity, and equity as we recognize 
the Dr. Martin Luther King holiday, civil rights activist, an individual that wasn't afraid to speak up and stand behind his beliefs and what was right for the greater good. And Bill, you have an interesting story or connection with Dr. King. I remember you telling me a story a few years back that you shared with us uh, back in the training division. Do you mind sharing a quick story to our listeners? Yeah, sure. Um, and th this really does connect itself to, to leadership. You know, if you think about uh, MLK and his life, you know, what an amazing man and individual he was. Um, but I'm going to talk about someone else, you know, that crossed paths. It was actually a family member of mine. You know, I have an uncle. Uh, I always called him Uncle Herbie. Um, that's all I really knew uh, to call him. But his professional name was Dr. Herbert Cave. And he was one of the founding ho uh, founding doctors at New, New York's Harlem Hospital. He was a... Uh, he eventually became the lead anesthesiologist there. But this is kind of a little known story. On September 20th, 1958, MLK was actually autographing books in a Harlem department store. And a woman came up and asked if he was MLK. Um, her name was Azola Curry, and she actually went to prison for a long time for this. I uh, ended up dying there. But when he said yes, the women... Uh, she took out a letter opener and she plunged it into Martin Luther King's chest. That was the first assassination attempt for MLK. Um, you know, he was rushed to Harlem Hospital. A uh, surgical team was put together. And if you Google this or, you know, dive into the story, you'll see pictures of, you know, Dr. Uh, Emil Nisserl and John Cordes. These were a couple of uh, doctors who kind of get credited for this. But there was a, a black surgeon on the team, Herbie Cave, my Uncle Herbie, who uh, was was there when they were meeting about what they were going to do. And none of the white doctors wanted to perform the procedure because when they looked at it, the, the letter opener was right against his aorta and they were afraid that when they pulled it out, they were going to kill Dr. King. And none of them wanted that on them. You know, they don't want to be the man wow. responsible for killing, you know, arguably the greatest civil rights leader we've ever had. So my, uh, my uncle said, I got it. And, wow. uh, wow. no, he pulled, he pulls it out and he was the surgeon. It kind of, he was never credited with it. And, uh, you know, he was the guy who actually, uh, performed the operation. So let's tie this into leadership. You know, it's all about, you know, one of the, one of the credits that we don't give too much is being humble as a leader, you know, not really seeking accolades and recognition, you know, knowing that you did the right things for the right reasons, um, you know, we see people forget this all around us, you know, in the fire service, in the real world, you know, on TV when we're watching, you know, C-SPAN or any of those shows that you choose to watch. You know, we we, we forget that. Um, I will say that my uncle, he ended up being um, Dr. M.O.K. You know, he ended up being uh, Martin Luther's uh, medical director. He ended up putting together medical teams when he did, you know, the March on Memphis. And when he was in D.C., um, he, he put all that together. And he formed this bond with him. And some of the famous pictures that you see, um, you know, walking across the bridge, he's in that picture. You know, he's two to the left from, from Dr. King. So I always thought he was my hero, my mentor, a man that I only met once in my life. You know, when I was young, he unfortunately passed like in 1984 um he has a library at the harlem hospital named after him so wow pretty, pretty amazing thank you for sharing that story bill and that story does remind us that there is always good work being done out there right work that's being done in the background by good people everywhere and sometimes we don't get to hear about all the good work uh, that's happening all around us we talk a lot about humility here on the kitchen table and i'm sure we're gonna we're gonna talk a lot about humility again today so thank you again bill for sharing now, I've never been to the MLK National Historical Site in Atlanta, but Chief Larson, you mentioned that you have. What was that like? 
Yeah, I've been to the King Memorial. That that place is amazing. Um, yeah. You know, being able to see historical artifacts, actually read, you know, his Nobel Peace Prize letter. Um, and it's a place that, you know, a ton of people come. Um, yeah, people I bet. Their kids, they're trying to understand his leadership and his legacy. And um, it's just one of those places that you go and you leave inspired. Yeah. You know, you realize... Uh, like she was saying, there's so much humility in that man um, and and doing the right things for the right reasons. I mean, uh, that is huge in the fire service. Uh, you know, there we all know that that IGM or that I got mine. I'm going to take it and that's mine. And yeah. when you reflect on his teachings and his leadership philosophy, it was really about doing the right thing for the right reason and making sure that everybody um, had access and was being lifted up by the work that he was doing. It wasn't just one person, it was everybody. So that's a really important lesson, you know, that we can take away from Dr. King. Oh, absolutely. And it's always important to understand history and that history, especially, I mean, to talk about the civil rights movement. I mean, you mentioned access opportunity and our conversation today is going to dive deep into all the above. So I'm excited. Now, before we get into our discussion today, chief, your roots are from the Pacific Northwest. Do you mind sharing a little bit about Chief Larson, where you grew up, your journey into the fire service, how you ended up at LA City Fire, and also anything you'd like to share with us? Perfect. So uh, I grew up in Olympia, Washington, and uh, I, I was an athlete and went to Olympia High School and got a, lucky enough to get a track and field scholarship to UCLA. So I took advantage of that and came down to uh, LA to you know, do my five years of school and, you know, got, was privileged enough to be with some great athletes there, Jackie Joyner, Kersey, Gail Deaver. So around a lot of Olympians and world record holders. Um, and after that, I decided I was going to stay in California for a little bit, see if I could find a job. And uh, while I was painting the dorms at UCLA, one of my friends said, hey, you should be a firefighter. So um, pre-internet, I did the, the old school way, go to the uh Library, check out some stuff and make some phone calls and called county fire department. Didn't know the difference between city and county. Said, we're not hiring, call the city. And uh, literally within about a year and a half after graduating, I was on a job. So wow. luck and timing for, for me, honestly, with, with the beginning of my career. Yeah. Wow. So that was, uh, what year was that? Uh, 1990. I got, 1990. I got hired. Uh, I graduated in June of 89 and I actually entered the drill tower in October of 90. Wow. Awesome. Wow. What a story. So roots from the Pacific Northwest and uh, any desire to come back up here and work up here? Uh, come back and work up there. I think yeah. I got to finish my career down here. <laughs> yeah, so, I think so. I, I don't know, you know, with, with 32 years on, I don't know that I'm going to be uh, anybody yeah. material as an entry level firefighter. And I'm not, <laughs> I want to, yeah. I want to pursue a chief job. So yes, I don't know. I, I, my parents do still have their house. Uh, oh, in, really? In Olympia, so, okay. Uh, you know, they are actually down here closer to me, but right okay. now, but you know, that might be, I might be a snowbird. Yeah. Awesome. Northwest. Now, do you come up at all to Washington visit regularly or just randomly? Uh, just randomly, I come up for, um, uh, obviously, for Camp Blaze. Um, right. And then I also come up usually in the spring to attend my high school's uh, annual Athletic Hall of Fame induction ceremony. So, oh, wow. Well, I was inducted into the Hall of Fame for being a four-time four-sport uh, athlete at, at Olympia High School. So 
wow. I can pick up and kind of see who's getting inducted and, you know, congratulate them and obviously make a little donation to the athletic fund. Wow. That's amazing. And uh, a track and field athlete at UCLA. Is mm-hmm. that so uh, what was your events? So at UCLA, I did shot, discus, and javelin. Wow. So kind of unique because, you know, Washington State actually does javelin. They don't throw javelin in California. So um, oh, you have to figure that out on your own if you're in California. So uh, an advantage that we have up there in Washington State. Wow, Chief. Uh, a lot of accomplishments, a lot there. Thank you so much for sharing. And we are excited to have you on the kitchen table today. So let's get started, Chief. You are in charge of the Recruitment and Equity Bureau with LA City Fire. I can only imagine what kinds of tasks your division is responsible for, but most of our agencies here in King County or in Washington in general don't have recruitment uh, or equity divisions. In fact, many of the recruitment or hiring responsibilities up here are left in the hands of either, you know, human resources, or in some cases, you know, recruitment and equity work is non-existent. But to start off, what are some of the goals and tasks of your division? Okay, so I, I kind of do dual duty. So as far as the recruitment and youth programs, so if you don't have recruitment, you don't have diversity because the community that you might be serving doesn't know that this opportunity exists. So we use recruitment, obviously, like everybody else. Um, the staff at, at my section is a, a captain too, who's the supervisor. I have three other captains that work and kind of have do different duties. Um, and, and then I have five firefighters. We have five magnet high schools and we do a bunch of different youth programs. So the firefighters work with that. We do a girls camp twice a year. We have a youth fire program. We have our cadets and our magnet high schools in addition to that, because what we see is those youth programs are a progressive pathway into the fire service and you're getting them early. You know, we start at 14. If we've got that really committed young man or young woman, um, they may see themselves in the future of the fire service. Uh, So that's how we use it as a progressive way to get into the fire service. Um, And we offer a lot of free prep programs. We do um, free CPAP practice. Um, We have interview prep program for people that get in the process and and are ready to get hired and do their interview. Um, Not in my shop, but in our recruit services side, we have a CAP fitness training program where candidates can come in the evening or early in the morning on Saturdays and work out. It's a free workout program, similar to what they would get in the academy. Plus we teach them a little bit of the tools and equipment. Um, So we're really focused on putting ourselves in areas where underserved communities are to try to attract them to the fire service. Because one of those things that uh, a lot of people say is you can't, you can't be it if you can't see it. So looking at somebody who is African-American, looking at somebody who's female, looking at somebody who's Asian, um, all of a sudden you go, hey, I I might be able to see myself in that position. Wow. Fast forward to the Equity Bureau. This is new to the fire department. Um, We did an organizational assessment with Deloitte in 2021, um, and it encompassed both sworn and civilian, kind of gave us some things we knew anecdotally. It gave us the answers to for both the sworn and civilian um, and gave us areas of blind spots that we didn't know about. I think we're like every fire service agency. We've got four, maybe five generations in our department right now. So every generation is different Mm -hmm. and respond to words and phrases and orders differently. And so how do we communicate that? 
Um, so the equity bureau for us is going to focus on the internal customer right now, which is the firefighters and the rank and file, because one of the things that came out was, hey, we put all this emphasis into the probationary firefighter, all this training for the first year, get their driver's license, all this kind of stuff. And then what? Now we're going to start focusing on every rank, whether it's the task books for promotion. And so the equity bureau is really going to focus on the life cycle of the employee from how we onboard and recruit through that 30 plus year member who's going to retire and what do we offer them for promotions, for training and all that kind of stuff. Um, with the thought that, hey, if we end up making our internal customer, the firefighters, captains, chiefs, happier, that translates into better customer service as well. Absolutely. Kind of a whole bunch of stuff and, and we're just getting off the ground right now. Yeah. Well, um, I've always understood equity as access and opportunity. And you've said that, I think, several times. So how important is access and opportunity in recruitment and hiring, but also in fire service in general? Okay. So I think equity has been around for a long time, right? DEI has been around for a long time. In the corporate world, it's been around for a couple of decades. We're new to it in the fire service. Diversity, hey, that's just the numbers, right? Yeah. What does the demographics of your department look like? My fire department <clears throat> is required to give a quarterly diversity report to our fire commission, which is the head of the fire department, for both sworn and civilian. So the numbers are there. They don't lie. The equity piece is the piece that people struggle with. If you don't know about this career, you could be a great firefighter, but nobody's ever told you about it. Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest, that's how I got in. Somebody, you know, I'm at working over the summer at UCLA and we're painting the dorms and somebody goes, hey, I think you'd be a great firefighter. I'm like, hadn't even considered it. Yeah. So sometimes it's just about the opportunity. And then equity is about making sure that everybody has the same chance. So let's talk about promotion. So say there's a driver position that's going to come available. Put out a study guide. Yeah. Put out training tools. And if everybody has access to the materials, then it's equitable. Right. So it's just, it's not fair if somebody has a super secret Absolutely. insider with this person because they know them because they're best buds. They get all this super special information. Yeah. Hey, when it's all there, there's a bibliography, there's training videos, there's, uh, you know, the books that you're required to read or what have you. Then everybody has access to the same material, levels the playing field. And then it's yeah. just about what do you do on an individual basis yeah. to make yourself stand out through the testing process. Chief, I, I just want to interject. I have a really quick question on your um, your recruitment. Mm -hmm. So one of the issues that we have is that a lot of our departments up here have 21 as kind of our minimum age for hiring, mm -hmm. um, you know, and there's nothing in between that high school age to that 21. You know, we have very limited resources when it comes to, you know, any type of programs, explorer programs or anything like that to kind of point, you know, uh, you know, our cadets. So the problem is, is that, you know, we go to these job fairs and there's this gap. What, what is your age and how have you bridged that a little bit? So our age is 18. High school diploma, valid GED. You do need to have your EMT and a CPAT. That's our minimum qualifications. That's kind of standard for California. Mm -hmm. um, some will require, we don't require it actually at your application. We just require it before your background. Um, so, you know, the gap portion of it is, you know, we look to um, where we're going to find the best candidates. And the 
the biggest part then becomes the engagement piece. How do you let people know you have it? And then how do you keep them active in the process? And that is the biggest challenge. Um, with, you know, you guys having a 21 years age as an entrance, you know, you got to tap into your community colleges. Um, you know, we, we talk about firefighter being the ultimate team sport, get your athletes, mm -hmm. especially your females. You know, those athletes are used to working hard. They're used to sweating. They're used to working around men, community colleges, four-year colleges. I mean, within, you know, the greater Seattle area, there's a ton of colleges, right? You Absolutely, got U, yeah. you got Seattle Pacific, you got UPS, PLU. I mean, you've just got a bunch of schools, uh, Western. I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> they're all up there, right? Yeah. So oh, yeah. you got to take advantage of it. And part of it's just the marketing. Um, we know social media is the way to get the younger kids. Mm -hmm. So doing a live in-person event yeah. doesn't give us much bang for our buck. One of the captains in the recruitment office, he does social media. And he works wow. with the city personnel department, and he's got Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, trying to delve into TikTok a little bit. Um, Sacramento Fire has done a really good job with their TikTok. So, you know, I kind of asked my fire chief, hey, can we start a TikTok? And she was like, yeah, go for it. Wow. Uh, so how do you get those people engaged? Um, your website, you know, we have a website solely devoted to, you know, recruitment. Um, and then there's the general fire department website. So, you know, those are the things that as you move forward, you kind of put the hook out there. You let them know that this might be a career for them. And then you kind of let them do their research and kind of think about it. And, you know, if you have the ability to kind of keep contact, that's how you keep that engagement. <laughs> I mean, you say some of these things on recruitment and it's like, wow, you know, why have we not been doing these things all along? So, Chief, you mentioned something very interesting there. You said DEI work is nothing new, right, with organizations in the corporate world, et cetera. You know, some of this work, although is new to the fire service, um, I think it's important for people to remember, you know, especially those that are like, you know, what is DEI? Why is DEI work in the fire service? You know, we just want the best people working here. You know, we've actually been doing some DEI work for the last 10, 15 years. You know, I'll use the example here in King County to paint a picture. You know, in, in the new hire interview process, you know, when I got hired 15 years ago, you know, they interviewed 32 people for six openings. You know, three months ago, our department, we just finished a process where we interviewed, four, we interviewed 430 candidates for six openings. You know, another example, you know, many departments used to require EMT and Fire One, you know, just to apply to a fire department now neither is a requirement you know they're you know tr they're hiring and they're training individuals and getting them emt and fire one certified you know in the academy you know this is dei work and this is that access and opportunity that we're talking about and it's important to remember you know especially for those who are you know not for dei work in the fire service you know we've been doing some of this work and i think many people appreciate this work they just you know may don't you know, comprehend that, you know, this is actually DEI work, you know, working. So, but it's also, you know, we need to understand that DEI work is expanding now. And yes, the fire service is very much behind in other areas of this work. But I just wanted to point that out. And, you know, Chief, you mentioned earlier, and I'll, you know, agree 100%. The fire service is 20 years behind uh, with a lot of the other areas of DEI work. Why would you say that is? It just hasn't been a focus. 
you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, post George Floyd, you know, people started paying more attention. Yeah. You know, the city of Los Angeles developed a racial equity action plan. The mayor at the time requested all fire department, all city departments to come up with their own plan. And so, you know, I, I think when we're talking about it, um, you're talking about then the inclusion piece. Yeah. How do we include more people who haven't had this opportunity? So, you know, the equity and, and inclusion kind of go together. Um, you know, let's face it, women make up nationally about 4% of the fire department. Um, and it varies by department and, and area. Uh, some do better than others. Um, and there's cultural issues around that. But there's also this, well, you know, prove yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, look, firefighters come in all shapes and sizes. We all know that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if I need somebody to crawl in a hole, I want somebody smaller. That 6'2", 240 guy ain't going to fit in the hole. Yeah. So we have to understand that diversity is a strength. It's not a hinder. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, we, we all bring different thoughts and ideas to the, to the fire service. Um, and they're valuable depending upon who's presenting it. And everybody adds value to the organization. Um, and we have to just treat it as that each person um, brings value to an organization, no matter what their gender or ethnicity is. Yeah. And, and, and I think that one of the things that that's important to realize is, you know, the change in the workforce, you know, back in the day, um, you know, I mean, people would stand in line for days to get an application for a fire department job. I mean, I would have drank, you know, eaten broken glass for a job because it was winning the lottery. You competed against thousands of candidates for one or two spots. Um, but that was just kind of the way we wanted. I mean, the job back then was, a you know, a solid job with a pension that paid well. You know, we knew the perks and benefits of it, but we had a different person. Today, we have to be competitive. Today, we're competing against Amazon and Microsoft and all these other companies who, you know, our, our people are taking jobs and there's so many jobs, you know, even, even trades are so competitive against what we're doing right now. So we have to, you know, do a, a new type of sell, right? We don't have thousands of people wanting to do our jobs. You know, we have hundreds of people, but we need to expand that out. You know, there are a lot of people just like chief Larson's talking about. There are a lot of people out there who just don't know that they have that opportunity. Um, you know, I got an opportunity to go up to that workshop, the King County diversity workshop that we just had. And, you know, that was the thing. There were 180 people who pre-registered to be at that workshop and all those people, you know, when I walked around and talked to people at lunch, it was like, I didn't even know I could have this opportunity. I came here to kind of see it and their eyes were open. And now they're like, I love it. I love mm-hmm. having that chance. So Yeah. The question I have is uh, going back just a little bit, chief, you mentioned, you know, a promotional exam for, uh, as an example, uh, you know, there's a, uh, a captain promotional coming up and allowing that access and opportunity for every single candidate, say there's 50 candidates to have, here's your study material, here's your textbooks, here's policies that you must know, here's what the tactical will look like, and so on and so forth. And I think many of us here today listening would agree that's, that yes, I mean, right, that's that's a no-brainer. But sometimes when you have a discussion out there about having that access to the candidates to apply for the job, sometimes you hear the well, I had to work X hard to get my foot in the door. Why are we doing X, Y, Z for these people to learn about the job? It's almost borderline a hypocritical statement, right? It's like when you're here at the job and you want to promote, yes, everyone should have the equal opportunity. But getting into the job, it's, well, I worked harder. I need, uh, I should have a step up. What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, I, I think when you advance in a leadership position, you all, all of a sudden turn around and realize you had a lot of help to get where you are now, right? Agreed, um, yeah. I, I look at my career and I know there were people that pushed me in different directions mm-hmm. that I didn't necessarily think were right for me. It turned out to be the right decision. Um, when we talk about you know how hard people work, that might be subjective because some people yeah. say they really worked hard and they didn't. Right. Can't devalue that it's changing yeah uh i look at what the standard was uh, i promoted in 2006 to captain um now what we're asking of our captains uh it's a step up the game has been elevated so yeah they might have had to work harder because some of the the policies or procedures changed the expectations changed as long as everybody knows that there's a level playing field for the people that are coming on we have to educate them. They don't necessarily know about the fire service. Yep. As Chief's saying, you know, he's sitting at this conference and people are like, I had no idea. The same things, though, when we're in this competitive market, still play to our favor, right? The pension, the schedule, you know, the, the vacations, the sick time. I mean, if you look at us compared to an Amazon or somebody else, you got yep. a pension. A yep. lot of other companies don't have that. Yeah. You know? It's just how you sell it and how you market it. And then you also have to let them know like, hey, you know, this is a hardworking job. You're, you're going to work for your money. Um, yeah. And I think that was painfully brought forward during COVID. Yep. Weren't remote. You had to show up at a fire station. Mm-hmm. You still had to go out on the COVID patients. You had to still respond to fires and EMS. And let's face it, fire service has changed. Uh, you know, I don't know what it's like down there, but uh, uh, up there, but, you know, we're doing 85 to 90% medical runs. We have people, we have companies that are running 30 plus calls a day. Um, wow. So it's, it's, you're going to work for it. But, you know, again, best job in the world. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. I'm going to, I'm going to highlight something because we talked about it every single episode. Uncomfortable with Chief Chris Larson be Chief Chris Larson if she was not pushed in those uncomfortable spots by either yourself or others around you? Oh, no. You have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And you have to get comfortable knowing that you don't know everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I still, you know, 32 years, I'm still learning. You know, when when we did this Deloitte assessment, I realized they're talking DEI stuff. And I'm like, I got got nothing. Mm -hmm. And so... I was the first person in our organization to take that eCornell course. It's all yep. online. Yep. I showed it to my boss at the time. He showed it to his boss. And to his credit, he paid for um, a bunch of the stakeholders. So Los Bomberos, our Stentorians organization, our uh, Women in the Fire Service organization, sent some of the civilian staff to that program and really got everybody talking about stuff on the same page. Mm-hmm. So we all realized we're going into an area that we don't know. Let's educate ourselves. And I think, you know, that's one of the things is, you know, start getting in your career and you get comfortable and you don't want to change or learn. I mean, you know, we're getting ready to get new breathing apparatus. I think that's going to be my third or fourth since I came on the job. Mm-hmm. Have to get comfortable with change yeah. and, and learning. And as a leader, you know, there are so many opportunities for you to just take an online course um, just read a book. Mm-hmm. I mean, the leadership part doesn't stop. And I think when we talk about the fire service, 
that's that's our blind spot is the stuff that we do, those soft skills that we use. Mm-hmm. We become really good tactically at putting the wet stuff on the red stuff, picking up patients, triaging them, doing that kind of stuff, physical rescues. Um, but those soft skills of leadership, um, yep. your emotional intelligence, your your willingness to expand your ideas about you know who somebody is or what they do, um, that just takes you know, your own power of self-reflection and your ability to want to grow and learn. Yeah. Does, uh, does your department struggle with DEI efforts? We struggle with, uh, efforts. Yes. So that was one of the things that came out in our Deloitte assessment, which was the millennials, maybe early Gen Z's said that we are not a humanistic organization. So mm-hmm. they want the ability to talk and communicate and, and understand maybe the why of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And I know for a while in the fire service, you know, people stop saying, stop asking why. But why is an important question. It's not, oh, it's because the way we do it. Mm-hmm. You don't understand the why. How do you explain it to somebody else? Why do we use this tool? Why do we, you know, have this piece of equipment on our apparatus? There's probably a reason somebody should be able to tell that probationary member, why do we do it that way? So why is yeah. a good question? It's why, oh. people, but it's a good question. Sometimes it's, well, why not? It's, you know, some people will say, well, why, you know, why do we need to recruit? Why do we need equitable processes? Whatever. Well, instead of just always asking the why, because why is a phenomenal question is, well, why not? Like, it does it benefit your department? Can we bring in better candidates? Can we bring in more candidates? I mean, the answer to that is yes, yes, and yes. So why not? So that's uh, important uh, for us to to also ask. Um, one thing we didn't get a chance to talk about is Camp Blaze. So Camp Blaze, it's been, what, 20, 21 years, 22 years now? Yeah. Highly successful, I mean, right? I mean, very much so. Do you mind elaborating a little bit on the early development and involvement of that program? And, I mean, has it, it's probably become huge compared to maybe what the early vision was, yeah? And what, I mean, how has it impacted women in the fire service today? Um, well, I, I guess it's kind of twofold. So it was started by San Diego and Seattle firefighters and San Francisco firefighters. And they tried to do it in San Francisco. The Treasure Island Training Center wasn't great. They ended up coming up to North Bend to the Washington State Patrol Training Center. And it's been there ever since. So we get the facility for a week. Um, every other year, uh, we bring in 24 girls and about 100 staff. And um, it's kind of twofold. It's, it's a leadership camp in the fire service environment because that's who we are. We're firefighters. So we're teaching leadership through firefighting. We have one off day where we go down to the um, uh, past few years. It's been Bellevue. We've done it in Tacoma. And they're gracious enough so the girls get to rappel, cut up a car with the jaws of life, climb the aerial ladder to nowhere. And if it's nice, they get to see the mountain. Um, and those skills, you know, Let's face it, if you never become a firefighter, at the end of your days, you can tell your grandkids, I climbed a, a yeah. fire department aerial ladder. There's not a whole lot of us that no. get to do that. Three percent right? no. of the world are firefighters. So let's just take that for how special it is. Yeah. And the girls get to make friends. They get to interact with you know professional firefighters so they understand what it's like. Some of them will go on to be firefighters and have. Um, but then there's the other side of it is, you know, all of us are volunteering our time. So we're taking vacations and all that kind of stuff. We are generously supported by the Seattle Fire Department. Chief Scoggins has been huge in supporting us and giving us needs that we have as far as equipment. Um, 
And then, you know, there's that mentorship that the women have. Yes. So it kind of is, is both ways. What you as men get every time you walk into the fire service, that camaraderie. Um, when you're the female, you don't necessarily feel that. You can eventually get there. But walking into Camp Blaze, mm-hmm. you get that feeling because yeah. you're around all those women. Um, we, we've taken that Camp Blaze model and shrunk it down for two days girls camp. So that the model that LA picked up has now been picked up by Sacramento, North Cal Women in the Fire Service, Golden West. Um, Alaska now has a camp, Northern Lights and Siren, which is brilliant. Um, and so wow. those women that have done it at Camp Blaze have also taken it back to their communities to kind of pay it forward. Wow. So that unique opportunity to, to come together with a group of women that you've never really worked with, some of them, and be able to do all this stuff in a week, um, it's special. And, yeah. and those bonds, um, you know, hey, uh, I need a letter of recommendation. Okay, I've written a letter of recommendation for other firefighters trying to get into a position in training or support or something like that. Um, and so those connections that you make and those relationships you build um, help other people move their careers forward as well. What an amazing opportunity for young women, not just to learn about the fire service, but to experience what I would you know, imagine a life-changing and life-gaining experience. Hey, Berlin, can I, can I go back to just Absolutely. One, one thing? I, I want to ask... Chief Larson, a little bit more about that organizational assessment. You kind of mentioned it a couple of times. Yeah. It sounds like you did in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, just wanted to hear about what you did with it and what were kind of the, the results and thoughts behind it. So um, the women's organization before I was the president had, um, you know, we have issues. The women had some issues. And so we went to um, the city council and they gave us money for this assessment. It got sidetracked, derailed, fund, funded, defunded, and then finally funded. Um, so the, the goal was, what are the issues as they relate to the women or minorities within the organization? Um, Deloitte was the company that did the assessment. They're well-known. They're worldwide. Um, and you know anybody that wants to go and see some of the stuff that they have on diversity, equity, inclusion is great. But we wanted them to kind of show us our blind spots. So it involved a survey and it involved focus groups um, by rank. So firefighters only would be in a group and talk, captains in a group and talk. So they did a bunch of focus groups, single interviews with command staff and certain key stakeholders. um, And then they developed all the data and presented it to us in a plan. And then after that, uh, they gave us a, a roadmap Kind of like, these are the things we think are important. These are the timetables we think you can achieve them. And so that's been our guidance for getting the Equity Bureau. Um, because of the issues outlined in the organizational assessment, um, the city council and the mayor uh, funded this Equity Bureau because they realized that we have some issues. Um, I, as president of the women's organization, when we were having some significant issues, actually called for the fire chief to resign. Um, And, you know, it was, uh, it was very humbling and scary experience. I can tell you that kind of walking out there on a plank all by yourself um, Mm -hmm. with support from outside stakeholders. Um, But that really started us to like, okay, we need to address these issues. We've tried it before 
over you know the time that I've been on the job, we've never made it stick. And I think now with the data that we had from this assessment, it really gave the electeds and the the command staff the opportunity to kind of move these things forward. Well, thank you. I you know I I just wanted to touch on it because it's so important to do that internal assessment. You know, when I, I, I moved from a department about a year and a half ago, I moved from another department, spent 30 years next door being, you know, an operations battalion chief all the way down through, you know, captains and all those jobs. And then when I came here, you know, I wanted to bring some of the recruitment stuff that I had started in the neighboring department to this department. And I was working with a private contractor and he just asked me the real quick question. He's like, well, are you ready for it? And I'm like, huh? He goes, well, you're to a new organization. You have no idea what their culture is. You have no idea what's going on. And, you know, that question kind of spurred this whole thought that I've never really done any type of an assessment. So we did a different one. We did, and I'm sure you've heard of the IDI, you know, the Intercultural Development Inventory. Um, it's very similar where you do a survey. I took all my my executive officer staff, so everyone, assistant chief and above, and including my shift PCs. And I started with that group of about 16 and said, hey, okay, let's, Let's do that for them. And very much like what you did, you know, you're looking at what your perceived openness to this world of, of DEI um, against your actual openness. And that's what it measures. And then it comes out with this openness gap. And, you know, for most people, because you hear it all the time, and we've all heard those conversations, well, you know, there's no problem here, you know, that our organization includes everybody. And, you know, we don't see color. If another person tells me that, I want, you know, sock them, sock them in the shoulder when I hear a person say me, say, tell me that. Um, but this actually puts mathematical numbers to that. So you're perceived and you're actual, um, you know, that, that needs to be a, a really narrow gap. And we, we did an organizational assessment. We Everyone individually did an assessment. And then we did an organizational assessment. And what we ended up finding out is that there was a huge gap in what we thought we we knew and, and our openness. And now we're trying to go backwards and work with that group, work with my group of officers, work with my whole executive staff, all the way down to firefighters. And we're putting together a committee and you know we're moving that forward. But the point being is that it was really important for us to take a step back before we invite you know, people into our organization to make sure that we're ready for it. And that's an important step that gets missed by some, you know, a lot of people are, and I think we're going to get into it with Berlin's questions a little bit later, but a lot of people are really into the lip service of saying, we want people to come into our organization, but when they get there, the organization is not ready for them. And so those damaging stories hurt organizations. When you bring a person in, you know, a female firefighter, a person of color into an organization and they don't feel welcomed uh, and received, then that's going to hurt you too so it, it, that's really important so I, I i like what you said i like the fact that you've done that and i'm, I'm glad to find out i'm i might have been on the right track with what we started to yeah well, i mean the other thing too is you know what you're doing is the top down but let's face it you can have all this data and you can have all this and 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 i like to say it has to come from upper management you have to have command staff buy in to the stuff that you're doing otherwise the change just doesn't happen you can do the stuff, but it never filters down to the rank and file. So it's important that we continue to do that. And, you know, when I, when I see that these younger members don't feel like this is a great place to work, we need to figure that out. Some of it's workload. For us, some of it's absolutely workload. We're short-staffed. We've got stations that, like I said, are running 25 to 35 calls a shift. You know, you can't sustain that forever. Um, but we're like every department in California. Everybody's hiring. 
So we're all trying to get a piece of the pie. So we have to figure out how to recruit and, and make that, you know, a place that people want to come to. Um, so it's important that, you know, you do those assessments and then figure out how you're going to change the issue because you're not going to change the culture overnight. It, it takes time. But we also are going to have a, our department's going to have a mass exodus. We're, we lose 141 people this year. We lose in January of 24, uh, about 111 people walk out the door in a month. So this is a prime opportunity for us to make those changes for those people who are now in the organization that say no. Now we can get people in promoted positions who say, yes, let's try this. Sometimes we tried it and it doesn't work and we can explain that to them. But this opens up the opportunity for us to say, yes, let's do this. It always comes back to being that uncomfortable piece. Uh, and uh, here's the first the first of its uh, word here, Bill. We're uh, 40 minutes in and here it is, intentional. But I think we have to be intentional about when we, especially when we talk about stuff with DEI, and here's here's the example I'll use is, and I'll bring this right back around to what Bill was saying about the organizational or the individual assessments, if you will, is with this work, if you're not intentional about it, it's not going to come to you accidentally. What I mean by that is, I'll use tactics for example. We can have a, a you talk tactics, and everyone will come into the room like, oh, I want to do tactics. Let's get a radio. We get an individual radio, right? People for some reason uh, in the fire service, we love the radio. So yes, we get to do a radio drill. Let's go. And you got everyone in the room doing tactics. You get, you know, we're gonna do an EMS drill. Well, maybe half the people are there. Oh, you know, some people are in EMS, some people are not. We're gonna do DI training. You know, the, the room is empty now, right? So uh, I think it's it, it comes down to being intentional about wanting to be good at this. And so going back to the organizational or individual assessments, I rem- if I remember correctly, Bill, it it's self-reflection is what it is, right? And after you take these assessments as individual or intercultural development inventory, you're either categorized as someone who's ready to lead. You're either someone that's uh, categorized as ready to learn, ready to live, or ready to leave. And what that means is, is are you in a position when it comes to when we talk about things like diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, are you someone that's going to take charge and should be leading the group? Are you someone that has an open mind that's just, you know, I don't know that much, but I want to learn. Give me some information. I will learn. I want to learn. I want to be intentional about this because this stuff's not going to come to me accidentally. Or are you someone that's just going to be comfortable? You know what? I don't understand, but I'm comfortable where I'm at. And I, I'm just going to be kind of where I'm at now. I mean, I'm going to, you know, not cause trouble, but I'm not going to, you know, be intentional about learning. And then are you someone that's going to be, and we all have those in, in our organizations. There's people that are going to be adamantly against the work period, right? They've been in the organization, just say 25, 30 years. They're the, you know, I don't understand diversity in the fire service. Why, 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 why is it here? And they will always be, you know, the naysayers on the work. And so when I, I think those assessments, like what Bill was saying, I think they're important because we get to self-reflect and just kind of get an idea of where we're at. I mean, I'll be honest, uh, we have a 15-person DEI committee, if you will, in our organization. And we've talked about this piece in all of our podcasts is it's okay to be challenged by people in your inner committee, right? People say, you know, I understand this, I don't understand this, or why do we do this? That's okay. Like, right, if we all are in the same echo chamber and we're all saying the same things and agreeing with, with each other on every topic – you're not going to grow because it's just it's go with the flow the entire time. So, again, I think it's it's being intentional about the work, understanding where you're at. And if it's not where you think you are, I mean, what are you going to do about it to maybe get to the, the space that you want to be eventually? So. So the question I have now, Chief, is. Uh, is diversity important in the fire service workforce? It's incredibly important. 
I mean, and, and it's important for the people we serve, right? I mean, there've been a few times where, you know, you've got a female patient and they're super uncomfortable. They don't want a man treating them. You have cultural barriers. We have, you know, um, Muslim communities, Jewish communities where, you know, we've, you know, you're, you're talking about a male firefighter who now has to do an assessment on a female. And it's like, you got to watch those cultural norms, have somebody else in there, have a male relative in there. So, you know, we also have to be culturally sensitive. So if we have a firefighter that can speak their language, that looks like them, that puts people at ease. Um, mm-hmm. And, and let's face it uh, again, there's that kind of trope that's well it, it's it has to be the six foot two white guy it it that just doesn't mm-hmm. just not realistic anymore um i think people are shorter in general i mean we had the last class graduate that we had and yeah there were some tall guys in that class but I, the first half of the class when i'm shaking hands i was taller than most of the guys so it's mm-hmm. like there there's this myth about what a firefighter looks like yeah. and we need to get over it i mean yeah. women have been in the fire service for decades um you know the first quote-unquote female firefighter was an african-american slave named molly williams oceanus fire company number 11 so women have been doing this they did it during the war uh world war ii at at any time that there's been a need they've stepped up so women can do the job minorities can do the job they just don't know the job exists Mm -hmm. but the diversity piece is important because the difference in thoughts and ideas um, whether they're from an economic perspective or a religious perspective or just a gender perspective are valuable to the organization. You know, if you didn't think about something, maybe somebody says something when you're sitting around the kitchen table and you're like, hmm, I hadn't thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. It's because that's coming from their lived experience. You have a different lived experience, just wasn't in your purview. Yeah. Not a bad thing, but no. So having that person come in and bring a different idea might be that person that moves the organization forward 10 steps. And from a leadership perspective, that person could remain a firefighter their whole career because let's face it, putting bugles on a shirt doesn't necessarily make you a leader. Mm -hmm. Those informal locker room leaders that are at the firefighter level are just as valuable as somebody that's a chief officer. Unfortunately, within the fire service, we work at rank. And so I've had people tell me, Oh, you know, chief, we should do this. And I'm like, that's a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, no, I said, you want to tell so-and-so about it? No, 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 I, I don't want to do that. Okay, I said, well, do you mind if I say it? I said, because I'm going to give you credit. I'm going to put your name behind it. Yeah. Because I don't care where that valuable idea comes from. Right. And that's, you know, if you're, especially for us, we're getting people that are in second careers or transitioning. Their average age is about 25 coming on the department. They've had lives and careers before that. And they may have a skill set that's valuable that we can tap into, but we get so focused on rank mm-hmm. that we forget that that leadership component knows no, no rank. Right. It's everybody within the organization. So Absolutely. You know, Chief, you know, Chief, we talk about this uh, in several episodes. We really talk about leading from where you are, right? And that's really where you're, where you're talking about. That even a recruit firefighter could be an, a, a good or a bad leader. You know, your senior firefighters can be good or bad leaders. You know, your company officers. And it doesn't really depend on rank. And unfortunately, 
they probably damage organizations more than anything. If you're a bad leader, uh, you know, we all, we've all seen it, you know, this cancerous person who's in your organization, doesn't matter what rank they are, but you know, they, their leadership can be really negative. Or you've also seen the opposite where we have, you know, a young probationary firefighter who's just doing the right thing and just completely nailing it uh, going forward. And it's his whole crew is energized by him. His whole shift gets energized by him, you know, and it can really be uh, um, contagious for an organization. Um, but, but one, but one thing I, I want to talk to is, you know, a lot of times when we talk about this whole goal of diversity and you touched on it, you know, it's really important that we don't just make it a black, white issue. We don't make it a male, female issue that, you know, you hit on a couple of things. If you think about the customers we serve, right, we serve the homeless population. If you don't understand what it's like to be homeless, I mean, so many of us have this attitude that homeless people are, you know, down and out or anything negative, all those negative thoughts. We have those biases towards those people but not understanding how they dig makes doing our job really hard because, um, you know, a lot of times if you're aggressive with them, they're aggressive with you. If you're good with them, they're good with you kind of stuff and understanding what that means. You know, when we talk about, you know, the autistic community, you know, we have one of our firefighters talk at our last OTEP class about, you know, she has an autistic family and she understands how they think. And she talked a lot about dealing with people with different levels of autism and what, and, and you know, effective ways of dealing with them. You know, we, our other customer, we see the geriatric population. I mean, obviously we see them all the time. So understanding how to deal with them, their needs, you know, socioeconomic, all that. So it's not always just necessarily black, white, male, female, you know, and I think that once you open the doors, this is about being a human and understanding how other humans are, um, you know, is really the core. This is the hot copy time. The hot copy time chief is the part of the podcast where we talk about some kind of hot topic or a controversial topic. When you and I talked on the phone the other day, you talked uh, about authenticity. And I know that's not much of a controversial topic, but um, I do have a question stirring from it. But uh, you mentioned uh, uh, being an authentic leader is is a must. So before I ask my question, can you elaborate on the importance to Chief Larson about being an authentic leader? I mean, I think the importance is the people that you work with and the people that you're around know that when they see you, when they talk to you, um, your actions and your words match. So it's about being authentic and it's about having integrity. And so you know, I think everybody's worked with, and I, I will tell you, one of the people that I learned the most from was the negative person who, when I was a firefighter, literally tapped on his collar ornaments and said, when you become a captain, you can do whatever you want. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is a great example of how I never want to be. But knowing that kind of person existed was something that I decided that I would never be and modeled myself 100% against. But you know, if, if people come to you um, and they know that you're authentic, they know that you have their best interests in mind. You're not trying to use them to gain something. You're trying to help them. They feel comfortable with you. Um, and it really gives you um, a lot more power in a sense, not in the sense that you're going to use it for, you know, personal gain, but it gives you power and influence among others later on because you have that authenticity. authenticity. Mm-hmm. We do learn a lot from, you know, from examples, good and bad, right? It's like, it goes to the saying, we know good leadership because we know what bad leadership is, right? We know happy because we know sad. So here's my hot topic question. Can one fake it till you make it when it comes to DEI work? In other words, 
Can leaders be effective at leading others when it comes to understanding diversity, providing equitable opportunities, believing that inclusion and belonging is important if they don't actually believe the work is necessary? I don't know that you can fake it till you make it. I think what you have to do is do the education piece. And, and you have to have the emotional intelligence and the humility to say, I don't understand this. I'm going to do some research and then we're going to talk about it because there are so many facets mm-hmm. to this. Um, you know, it talks about, um, you know, we, we have, we talked about gender. We talk about, you know, uh, homeless. We talk about, you know, underserved communities, LGBTQ. It really comes about, you know, just making sure that how you lead um, makes everybody feel included. And everybody belong. And that's that's the biggest thing. I mean, we wouldn't have, you know, you look at fire service, you look at firehouse.com, you look at some of this fire rescue one, and you're still seeing issues of people behaving badly, whether it's alcohol, whether it's sexual stuff. I mean, if we if we went to work and really felt like, hey, I want to make sure that everybody feels included and belongs, um, you wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, you you provide that safe space and that people have to come into work and feel like they're psychologically safe at the end of the day. They may not be the best ladder thrower. They may not be the best, you know, pumper, but hey, they're providing something to your organization. And we have to stop thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion as a zero sum game, right? We're bringing in these people and I'm losing something. That's not the way it is. If we're bringing in diverse people, everybody in the organization becomes better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been a huge stigma with DEI is that, oh, we're going to bring in these people. I mean, we have some haters on our Facebook page. And mm-hmm. you know, when they saw that we were starting this DEI bureau, one of them was white man's not going to get a job. That's just not true. Right. It just right. means that we're looking at everybody and the most qualified person might not be the white guy or it might be the white guy. Exactly. We're going to hire the most qualified person. But we're just making it so that everybody has the ability to do this job. <laughs> Absolutely. And I love how you put it so simply there, Chief. You said, Google, go do the research and learn, right? It goes to that intentionality that we talk about all the time, especially on this podcast. You know, it reminds me of the chapter in the book, Step Up and Lead by uh, uh, Deputy Chief uh, Frank Viscuso out of the East Coast. Uh, he dives deep into exactly what we're talking about here. He talks about the phrase, you know, that we hear so often in the fire service. Well, no one trained me, so it's not my fault if I don't do the work or if I don't understand what I'm supposed to do because, you know, if it was important, they would train me. And I believe what the deputy chief, you know, talks about in his book is that statement is an excuse for incompetency, right? And honestly, many departments don't have committees or budgets, you know, to support this work on DEI, you know, but is that simply an excuse? You know, how much of it would you say is self-intentionality and going out, like you said, chief, Google something, research something, better yourself, be intentional about it, you know, because let's face it, if we were talking about tactics here today, you know, we'd probably be on Google right now, you know, right? Oh, it's tactics. That's fun. Let's go. You know, let's, let's learn, let's learn about it. And so there's no one trained me concept. It's just an excuse. Uh, there has to be a level of self-accountability. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, look, it, you know, I, well, there's this thought that, you know, these recruits graduate from the fire academy and then they're fire slayers. Like, 
they're not. They're embryos. They got to learn the job, right? Yeah. So it's the same with the soft skills. Yeah. You you learn as you rise up in rank that the people who have taken the time to do the self-reflection and the education on those soft skills are usually the people that promote. Um, or maybe they stay a company officer, but they're the, the station that everybody wants to bid on because they know that company officer is dialed in. They, the crew trains, they all get along. They're doing the trips to the river or mm-hmm. ski trip or whatever. Why? Because that officer has taken the time to do the back end work yeah. um, to do it. And look, you know, yeah, I, there's stuff that my department's never trained me on. Mm-hmm. That didn't stop me if I exactly. wanted to learn it from doing it. So, you know, um, a whole bunch of online classes you could take. Like I said, I took that e Cornell course cause I yep. didn't know. Um, yep. and there's information that's accessible in, in this day and age, you know, maybe 30 years ago when I came on and we didn't have the internet, right. You couldn't say, Oh, go look it up. You know, you had to get notes passed down from former pro- other probationary members. You had to call a company to find out, you know, dimensions or find a, 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 a book. Now yep. you can get online and you can find that information. So, they're the only excuses that you just don't want to try. Right. And you know, that that's, that's where we fail in the fire service. Yep. And, and that, you know, well, if they, it was important, they trained me. Yeah. To a certain extent, but you'd be training every single day and you wouldn't have any time to do anything else. Take it upon yourself. An article that you download and read 15 minutes. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. A book, you know, on emotional intelligence by Daniel Goleman or, um, you want a leadership book by John Maxwell, anything that you can yep. find that's going to help you, you know, develop those soft skills where we have the issues. Yep. I, I talk about it in my department. When the bell goes off and we go out on big red or little red, we don't have a problem. We get it done. When we come back and we're sitting in those four walls of the fire station, that's where sometimes we don't treat each other the way we should. Um, Cause you know, if somebody steps out of line on a call, somebody might just, you know, hip check them or just pull them aside and say, I got it. Right. But that doesn't necessarily happen in the fire station. And that's where our issues happen. So what can we do to change that culturally where, you know, we're not eating our own because, oh, you're the probationary member. You got to do X, Y, and Z. Well, you know, somebody else can put up the flag. Somebody else can drop a pot of coffee. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Chief, I'm going to switch gears a little bit on you. You know, you have the perfect trifecta. You know, you have the experience, you definitely have the leadership chops, um, and you definitely have the rank in your organization, um, you know, to affect change and get, and get to where you are. And I respect that uh, immensely. Um, Berlin always has me ask this question, and I always talk about what are your neg- non-negotiables, though? I mean, every person to get to where you are, you know, you had to have some non-negotiables that you have um, that you ask of your kind of of yourself and of your team, you know, your leadership team. Talk to us a little bit about that. Um, a couple of my non-negotiables are, you know, be accountable, right? Be accountable for yourself and your actions. Um, you know, I'm the first to admit when I screwed something up. So they don't, they know that I'm not, I'm not practicing what I don't preach. Um, and, and then treating everybody, you know, with kindness. Um, you know, there's the plat- the golden rule and then there's the platinum rule, right? Treat everybody the way they want to be treated. And, you know, when you're working in recruitment and you're public facing, you have the responsibility to know your job and do it well and look professional and, 
those are the things that, you know, I ask from, you know, the people that work for me. And, you know, when I was a captain, I had a couple people that were studying for captain. And one of them was sitting in the office with me almost every day. Hey, can I learn this? How do you do this report? How do you do this? And, you know, can I have access to the computer so that I can do captain's functions? Yeah. Okay. Let me show you how to do it. Did it. Other person just wanted access to the computer, didn't want to learn how to do it. And he could never understand why I would not give him access. And I said, you haven't demonstrated the ability and the maturity. So, you know, as, as you progress in your career, you should grow and mature. You know, if you're the 40 year old who's still, you know, slapping somebody on the ass with a towel, probably not the perfect officer candidate. So, you know, I expect those people too, that I'm helping to try to promote that they also develop that maturity and that sense of, okay, this is how it's supposed to be done and do it the right way for the right reason, not try to do the shortcut as This guy was shenanigans. I love it. You know, the w- one thing that always gets me with the guests that we've had is when I've asked that question of non-negotiables, it's like an instant answer, right? I mean, you had them right all queued up. You, you didn't even know I was going to ask it to you, but you knew accountable and being kind are two things. And they're so simple, but yet they, they rear its head so many ways in our organizations. And you gave some great examples uh, you know, of that. Um, so thanks. Cause we always talk about, you know, I mean, we're, we're sports guys, you know, I mean, I coached football and played um, at multiple levels. And we always talk about the whole idea that, you know, your guys, your players, your boots on the ground really want to know when they screwed up. You know, and we see ineffectively or so many times hide behind that veil of, hey, fire went out. No one got hurt. Good job. You know, high five everybody. No, let's stop. Right. Because we know that nothing's ever perfect. Uh, You know, when I was in recruit school, we always talked about, you know, at Recruit Academy, we always talked about, hey, we're going to train you to 100 percent. But our expectation is we can get 80 percent out of you in the real world. I'm happy, to be honest. Right. Um, and, And so I think that that's that's a super important thing. Uh, that you brought up. So thank you for that. You also have to have patience, right? Not, not everybody's going to get it right the first time. Mm-hmm. So let's be patient. And and I had captains when I was a firefighter, we go out and train. And one day we did an evolution and we just messed it up royally. And we all looked at each other and we're like, that was terrible. Hey, Cap, can we pick it up and try it again? And we probably did it four or five times. So we got it really right. And they just sat back and let us do what we were doing let the rated members, you know, help work with us. And that kind of stuck with me. Hey, we're not going to be perfect. We're, we're going to make mistakes. Let's learn from them. And, you know, it, that informal leader that we talked about, I've had issues where he had a fire and, you know, had somebody do something wrong. Boy, as an officer, they, those other members jumped on that guy. And mm-hmm. they, were like, they pounded him for a week after that fire. Um, multiple different ways. So by the time, you know, I calmed down so that I could have a conversation with them, he kind of had his tail between his legs, you know? So, you know, we talk about, you know, how do we help our members succeed? Um, one of the biggest challenges is how do people receive criticism? Because yeah. not everybody receives it the same way. And some people think you're just blasting them and they take it to heart and it tail spins them. So you kind of have to tailor that message, but it's important that we have those critical conversations where we can have an honest dialogue that says, this could have gone better. This is what I saw. What did you see? Figure yeah. out how to frame the conversation because at the end of the day, you know, we do all want to go home. 
you know, we want to go home healthy. We don't want to go off injured. Um, so how do we make those course corrections when people need it? It's important. You know, Berlin's heard me talk about this before. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna coin a phrase here that you know people always talk about constructive criticism, and and the whole thought is is with constructive criticism that you're criticizing someone, and it really kind of has a negative connotation to it. So you know, I talked to Berlin about constructive leadership, and you know, that's that's doing that's trying to get ahead of it and look at things. Uh, and because a lot of it's predictable. Now, I use the example of a receiver. You know, I had a receiver's coach that always yelled at the guy, why don't you catch that ball? You know, and so finally I had to have a conversation with him. I said, you know, I don't think any of our receivers mean to drop the ball. Why don't we do some work on practice on how to catch properly our hand position and some other stuff? And then, hey, they're, we're going to have a higher success rate with them catching instead of just yelling at them to catch, you know, kind of a deal. So <laughs> that that's the whole whole thought process. We do, you know, I raised three boys. We do when we're a parent, we do constructive leadership, you know, um, we do it as coaches, but we don't do that in the fire service that much where we, where we stop. And like you said, uh, chief do the drill again. Right. Um, and understand that we, we didn't do very well that first time. So let's pack it up. Let's do it again. Let's practice it and let's get better. Uh, instead of just saying, Hey, we 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 got we got a check mark. We made it. We made it across the finish line. Let's let's make our personal time better, not just get across the first finish mm-hmm. line. Um, this is the rapid fire coffee top off. So, listeners, do me a favor, hit pause here, go top off your coffee cups, and uh, get your notepad out and listen in. So, uh, Chief Larson, uh, offer a suggestion and or an action item to each of the following leadership groups. These are things that you recommend these individuals start doing today right now to grow as leaders. The first group, talk to the informal leader. This is that newer employee, a newer firefighter, someone thinking about taking the first step into a more formal leadership role. What's one thing they could do today to grow as leaders, to better understand DEI work or anything in between? I think, you know, just learn your job and be welcoming to all the new information. There's so much to learn in the fire service. Not going to learn it all in that year of probation. You're not going to learn it maybe within the first three or four years. Take the time and learn and realize there's also life outside the fire station. So also have that work-life balance um, because, you know, it, it can consume you. But take the time because at the end of the day, when you have a very robust life, both inside and outside the fire service, you're going to be a better firefighter. Absolutely. How about the emerging leader, the newer company officer, an aspiring company officer, recommend an action item they'd start doing today? Uh, I think, you know, take the time to, to do some leadership work, leadership reading, whether or podcasts, however you want to do it. It's L.A. I, I got to listen to podcasts for the drive. There you um, go. And also then make those connections with your mentors that are your peers um, or maybe somebody who is in a supervisory position that you're a friend with. Um, so that you can get their focus on leadership and the, the way the organization is moving so that you're ahead of what might be coming down the pipe. So use your network and really, you know, try to grow yourself as a leader. Absolutely. Kitchen Table podcast, I hear is pretty good, up and coming. Lastly, the, uh, the senior or established leader, what's one thing they could do today to grow as leaders, to better understand this type of work in DEI or anything in between? Um, okay, so education is, is the key here. But I think just keeping an open mind, you know, we've got a lot of people that are no people. Um, and when, when I got promoted, I was leaving my assignment. Uh, um, 
one of the guys like, who's going to take over and do what you do? And I told him, I didn't do anything special while I went, I'm in recruitment. What I did was say, yes, let's try this. Let's try that. It was just the openness and the opportunity to say, yes, let's try it. Weren't always successful. Some of the programs, we just couldn't make work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had the conversations with the people that were doing it to realize we couldn't. And I think, you know, we get stuck as senior leaders in, well, this is the way we've always done it. Um, but there might be a better way. And that better way is listening to that younger person that has the knowledge and experience that we don't necessarily have. So give credence to that younger person to, to listen and, and value their input. Thank you, Chief, for that. And we ask our guest speakers to offer those action items for really two reasons. Number one, you know, to give people that are listening, you know, something to do, something, you know, to start doing today, you know, right now to grow as leaders. Uh, but also number two is, you know, people resonate differently, you know, with different people, you know, with different speakers. And we always talk about perspective on this podcast. So, you know, having the ability for the listeners to hear the different stories from different people, different leaders, you know, to offer a different perspective, their philosophies, you know, and experiences. Um, it just, you know, it gives our listeners, you know, more to take away from um, so we can, you know, reach that larger audience. So, again, thank you so much. Well, today we close our episode with the Leadership Challenge. This part of the podcast is where we ask our guest speaker to call out or to challenge an individual that they believe would be a good candidate to come talk leadership at the kitchen table. So, Chief, put you a little bit on the spot here. Is there an individual out there that you believe would love and be willing to speak leadership at the kitchen table with us? Um. I will consider this person kind of a mentor to me, somebody who kind of pushed me along in my career. Um, is current, he's retired LAFD, currently works for FDNY, and that is uh, Dr. Kwame Cooper. I'm not exactly sure what his official title is uh, in FDNY, but uh, he's their new DEI officer. He's mm. moving that forward with FDNY, which, if you know anything about them, will be monumental. They have 1% females, they have zero diversity. Um, so he's got a big challenge ahead of him, but he's done a lot of work um, on DEI issues, um, work issues in, within the workplace and how do you solve those, those conversations, those challenges. Um, he worked on some of our um, early iterations of human relations training. So he would be a good person. Wow. Well, thank you for that. And uh, we will reach out uh, to Dr. Kwame Cooper to let him know that he's been officially leadership tagged by, uh, by Assistant Chief Chris Larson out of LA City Fire. So thank you for that. Before we officially close the episode today, first and foremost, thank you for taking the last uh, 65 minutes or so just to talk with us at the kitchen table, Chief. Lasting thoughts to our listeners before we officially close today. You know, the fire service is ever-changing, and so we can't rest on we do it this way because that's the way we've always done it challenge people to just keep an open mind and try to think forward on what's going to move your organization forward, be the voice of change, be the voice of reason, and just treat each other nicely or kindly, for lack of a better word. Because, you know, we go to work and there's other things on our minds, you know, you know, could be aging relative that's sick, could be a child that's sick. So if somebody's having a bad day, sometimes it's just easy to say, hey, how are you doing today? Um, 
you know, our mental health has been a big topic, you know, so let's look out for each other and make sure everybody's safe. Perfect. Thank you for that. Bill. Thank you so much, Chief Larson. I mean, you're an inspiration for all of us. You know, you really have done a lot of work in this area uh, and it takes champions like yourself to make sure, you, you know, that we're respectful, kind and authentic with, with, with each other. Absolutely. So to close, uh, we do want to thank everybody for taking the time today to tune in to episode seven of The Kitchen Table. We do truly hope that you found this time valuable and we've inspired you to take action, to lead, and to help spread this leadership conversation. So until next time, be safe, be intentional, and stay curious.